This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello, Hopheads, and welcome to another episode of the Hop4 podcast. Is there any other country quite as revered in the world of beer as Belgium? While many start their continental beer journey in their local supermarket with commercialised brands such as Lef and Duvel, it's usually only a matter of time before they're booking Eurostar tickets to Bruges, taking a pilgrimage to Basserie de Orvel, before visiting the lambic mecca Basserie Cantillon. There is something to be wholly revered about Belgian beers, and although we often reserve such reverence for quadruples that have been bottle-conditioned and cellared for several decades, many of its everyday styles, such as the humble Saison or the Witbier, carry equal levels of complexity, albeit in a much more subtle, understated way. You'd be mistaken to think all Belgian beers are banana bubblegum sweet. Many of the beers from one of our nearest European neighbours, create refreshing acidic balance through mixed fermentation provided by cultures of Lactobacillus and Brettanomyces while riding the undercurrents of a gourmet kitchen spice rack. Swirling flavours that dance around your tongue when sampling some of these world-class beers leave you both refreshed and pining for more. Fortunately, you don't have to take a trip to West Flanders to sample fine examples of Belgian beer styles, though it does help, and uh, not that you're getting there anytime soon, thanks to Brexit and COVID-19, so it's just as well. UK brewers such as St. Mars of the Desert often brew farmhouse styles, while Mount St. Bernard Abbey, Britain's only Trappist brewery, are renowned for their highly sought Dubel Tint Meadow. And while other breweries, such as Unity Brewing Co. and Derbyshire's Buxton Brewery, sometimes turn their hands to brewing these styles, it's East London's Solvay Society that solely focus on the brewing of Belgian beer styles here in the UK. And with good reason. Roman Halucci, head brewer and co-founder of Solvay Society, hails from Brussels and brings vast technical knowledge to his craft, creating some fantastic beer styles, some of which we will delve into further in this episode. But before we explore some of the intricacies surrounding the brewing of Belgium-style beers, it's time for this week's... Although this week's brewery shout-out doesn't come from Belgium or brew any farmhouse beers, they do brew an amazing white beer and an absolutely Jurassic-sized, heavily petered golden ale. Yes, I am, of course, talking about none other than the Yeasty Boys. I think many of our listeners are au fait with Sam and Stu and the team, who are some of the nicest people you will meet in the world of beer. And they have very kindly offered all our Hop Forward listeners a 10% discount off orders on their online store using the code HOPFORWARD. That's HOPFORWARD with a capital H and F and no space in between. 
Both their core range beers and their one-off beers are available from their store and you can also bag some awesome merchandise. And let's face it, they are possibly the coolest beer brand going. I mean, <laughs> anyone that names their brewery Yeasty Boys just needs commemorating for all time in the form of a bronze statue, in my opinion. So head over to yeastyboys.co.nz, that's yeastyboys.co.nz, where you can find the link to their UK store. And don't forget to use the code HOPFORWARD and let the beat drop. There you go. Make sure you follow us on social media at HOPFORWARDBEERS. And unlike Joe Rogan, who has the biggest podcast on the planet and has exclusively moved his podcast to Spotify to cash in his cow, you can find, subscribe and leave a review for Hot Forward on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher and all the rest of it. Because unlike Joe, we are not too cool for school. And visit hotforward.beer to find out what we can do for you and your beer business to help you develop your branding and marketing and to work with you to grow your business. Right, let's crack open today's episode with Roman Hulucci from Solvay Society as we discuss brewing Belgian beer styles while digitally enjoying some of their fantastic beers together over the Magica Tinterweb. Enjoy. Today on the Hot 4 podcast, I am joined by Roman Hulucci of Belgian beer-inspired brewery Solvay Society. Hello. Hi. How's it Nick, going? How are you? I'm all right, thanks. You? Yeah, I'm well, thanks. Good, good. Roman, for our listeners who might be unfamiliar with the brewery, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the brewery and how, how you ended up in London and all the rest of it? Uh, sure, yeah. So um, I originally moved to the UK uh, for uni, so I moved to London um, going on 13 years ago now. Uh, from Brussels, which is where I grew up, but I also did live in America for a few years when um, I was quite young. And uh, kind of during my studies, because I was uh, studying um, physics at the time, and then over kind of the course of a few years, I just started uh, homebrewing. And so, uh, you know, I was kind of brewing American-style pale ales and that sort of thing. Um, but obviously, having kind of grown up from Belgium, grown up in Belgium, uh, I wanted to kind of get a better understanding of what what is Belgian beer, um, not only from like the tasting perspective, but from the making perspective. So, started uh, doing a few years that I would almost describe as like American Belgian crossovers. So, using kind of saison yeasts or other kinds of uh, yeasts in uh to to make kind of belgian inspired beers and it was really through that that i kind of initially developed two recipes um both beers that, that we've kind of retired from the range but one of them was um coulomb which was a kind of really spritzy pale dry hopped saison uh so using uh cascade and Salea. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, really refreshing kind of five percent beer, and then the other one was also a five percent Belgian pale, uh, a little bit in the vein of um, of of like the Antwerp style uh, Belgian pales. Um, so like a decent amount of malt character, um, no dry hopping, but still like plenty of hops in the whirlpool. 
and it was kind of those batches that we like kind of first commercialized um and we basically just started brewing below a pub um originally in Walthamstow and then we moved to another pub um because we just couldn't get any of the beers right in in the pub cellar <laughs> there um and moved on to a pub in Islington and we were there for about a year um and yeah, we kind of launched with those two beers. And then in the meantime, added Tritium, which is one of the beers that we're going to get onto uh, a little bit later. Um, and yeah, then kind of the opportunity came up to buy some much bigger kit kind of in situ um, in Ilford on the farm in Ilford. And yeah, so myself and, and the, my co-founder, uh, we kind of jumped at the chance and have been brewing there ever since. Um, so yeah, we've been there since 2016. So yeah, basically just gone four years. Right. Since we first batch, yeah. So that's kind of London Essex border, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So okay. it's just uh, east out of out of London, but um, yeah, most most of our beer kind of comes into London. Right. So why did you decide to focus solely on brewing beer styles from your homeland whilst kind of in of east of london well when we were kind of setting up the brewery we noticed that there wasn't really a huge amount of belgian beer that was widely available and so you know you've, you've basically got like the the big importers who bring in uh like a lot of quite recognizable brands whether that's like la chouf or duvel mm-hmm. um kind of all of the trappists um uh but but there wasn't really a huge number of beer like kind of more interesting modern beers coming from Belgium and we thought that's kind of where our niche is and kind of something that we've developed over time is really to try and make Belgian beer much more drinkable because yep. i think uh, a lot of people's experience of Belgian beer is that it's can be like too sweet or too strong um or too fruity like too estery and we're trying to kind of take some of the elements that you get in those beers but tone them down a little bit um and introduce maybe some other flavors that people uh kind of tend to enjoy more i would say so kind of hoppier flavors or maltier flavors just to try and make a a more drinkable beer yeah um but still like distinctly belgian Mm. And the brewery itself, how big is it? What's your set up there? Um, so we've got uh, two fermentation tanks and a conditioning tank, uh, and it's all uh, like 10 hectoliters. Basically, we can probably push to, to uh, 1,300 liters. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was um, it was originally belonged to uh, Haypenny Brewery, who don't exist anymore. Um, and yeah, they were kind of basically just doing like trad cascale um quite a long time ago now um so yeah it's been interesting kind of learning to use the kit to brew a very different style of beer yeah i think it's an interesting niche actually i mean i love belgian beers i mean my my first experience with belgian beers as i would imagine for most people going way back to the late 90s was <laughs> was left <laughs> but i used to go with my mate russ um to like at this cafe bar in town where they had it and, and it seemed like such a luxury beer at the time you know it's like oh drinking left you know three o'clock on a friday afternoon <laughs> um but obviously you know there's it's 
as I've um, experienced different sort of Belgian beers. Unfortunately, I've never been, but I'd love to go. Um, you know, when, when you start to uncover those real kind of Belgian beers, they're, they're amazing. But I'm, I'm always amazed that they don't get as much recognition and and the love, you know, in comparison to stuff like um, Nipahs, which are obviously are really on trend, or pastry stouts or kettle sours and stuff. I mean, what, why, why do you think that is that, you know, for such a revered country of that makes beer, you know, they, typically they don't sell as well as those kind of quote-unquote big hitter styles. Well, so I would, if you compare, let's say, the French market and um, the British market, I think Belgian beers tend to do really well in France Yeah, because people aren't used to, to drinking beer kind of in bigger quantities. So you'd, you'd go out and have like a glass of beer or a bottle of beer Whereas um, I would say over here, um, you know, people like to drink by the pint. Yeah, um, that's kind of like the standard unit of 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 measure, really. And even though you know that's beginning to change, and you know, lots of places will refuse to serve you a a, a pint of double IPA, um, you know, which is probably a pretty reasonable thing to do. Um, but you know the they need it's again just trying to kind of not change that way of drinking because that's kind of the culture but really to try and find a way of of uh, expressing what belgian beer is and can be in in that format um and that's something that we're really trying to do um and uh, but but yeah i think it's kind of quite a process because um you know as you mentioned, I think there's lots of people who really, really revere and love the style. Um, but that's that's a minority of people. Um, a, a everyone else, probably, if you ask them what, you know, what what is Belgian beer, they would probably either say, I don't know, or it's really strong, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, just on that, can you give us an overview of some of the beer styles that are authentic to Belgium, but both the most popular types and possibly some styles that don't receive as much attention? Um, so, uh, well, Saison is a, is a great one. And obviously you, the box that I kind of sent you had three Saisons, but I would say that all of them are, are very, very different takes on Saison and Saison basically is a bit of a blanket term at the moment, I would say, because there are some very traditional ones, but I think even historically within Belgium, there's like a huge diversity in, in saisons. Um, then you've basically got the, the Trappist styles. So like the, the Trappist styles. So like the, um, the single, which, uh, is not really a style style that you see very much at all. Um, but that's like the Patters beer. So that's like the, the one that the monks would typically drink mm. that double, triple and quadruple. Um, so you know we can talk about triples uh, a little bit later on when we um once we crack open one of the beers um and yeah i don't know it's, it's, uh, styles that you know get less attention i would say probably say the belgian pale um which is actually a style that was imported um from britain um so it was a, a lot of it was happened during uh like pre-World War One and during World War One, with British so soldiers going over and taking British beer styles and that became really popular in Belgium. 
um, because before that, Belgian breweries were almost only brewing like pils lagers. Yeah. So uh, everyone thinks Belgian beer, like the history of Belgian beer goes back a long way, but actually it's a very modern thing. Uh, and has really only existed since the beginning of the 20th century that like Belgian beer became uh, its own kind of identifiable thing. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot, a lot about it that people aren't really aware of. And uh, I think there's quite a lot to explore kind of just using modern brewing techniques and, uh, and the different ingredients available to us today. Mm, that's interesting about the sort of the age span because i think when you think of like trappist breweries you know and those monasteries and monks and stuff going back like centuries and stuff you know i think i think you tend to think that belgian beers are really kind of rooted in history um so that's that's interesting about brits taking beer over there i didn't know that at all um yeah i i this is a bit of a like a kind of a geeky philosophy of beer kind of stance to take but um i would say belgian beer is kind of british beer with mutated yeast uh and and the addition of sugar um that's kind of that's that's most of kind of what belgian beer was based upon like throughout the the later part of um the 20th century Awesome. So I'm going to crack open a few beers that you've kindly sent and raise the digital toast. So as, as I do that, I've got hopefully I've got the right kind of glassware for it. I know the viewers can't see that, but it's a, it's a tour side brewing glass that I, ha- I got this at a beer festival called Smoke Fest. That's a smoke beers. I was in a, a, a really bad state. I don't normally get as drunk as that. Um, but my friend Paddy very kindly rescued this glass. Um, but while I, while I pour this, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about this beer and describe what it is? So that is Saison Summer, which was actually brewed uh, last summer. And um, we, I, I came to the idea uh, for that series um, in a conversation with Little Earth Project when we did the collaboration with them. Mm. Uh, which was really to try and brew a beer that is kind of carries all the complexity when it's fresh, but will carry on aging um, and develop more and more complexity. And so um, kind of as I was coming up with a way to, to achieve that, I figured, well, why don't I, um, we have, we tend to use um, dry, uh, dry yeast in some of the beers so this is obviously like lab cultivated yeast mm. but we also have our own uh, mixed culture so containing um, Brettanomyces and Lactobacillus and so the idea here was to basically ferment the clean beer in stainless and ferment the mixed fermented beer in stainless and then blend and so the mixed fermented beer is unhopped and that allows it to develop like a really nice level of sourness from the lactobacillus um but because it's in stainless it's still quite clean and so you don't get a huge amount of of funkiness or um acetic acid production that that would make it really harsh so you end and then with the blend you can kind of add in the hops 
to um, to give it more balance and like bitterness. And so this particular beer was brewed with um, uh, Amarillo hops to give it a, like quite an orangey quality, mm. and then um, rosemary because I think uh, orange and rosemary go really well together. Um, and I think the the rosemary and the kind of wild yeast character that you get in the beer um, really kind of makes it hum. It's very nice, I have to say. It's it's very um, it's got a lovely dry end to it, really really crisp. Um, it's almost got like a like a white grape white quality to it. It's um, it's yeah, there's, um, like a kind of a, a refreshing kind of lemony acidity mm. that's in there um and and like kind of that bounces off the kind of savory aspects that are in there as well and for me personally it's just really moorish yeah i mean th- that on a, a hot summer's day i mean it, i am this has been in my cellar so it's kind of like you know beer cellar temperature um but that on a hot day when it's been in your fridge would just like go down <laughs> so fast um it's it's very good. I mean, it's uh, uh, something I was going to ask you actually. Um, going off the grid a little bit with some of the questions I already got, but um, obviously brewers are moving into cans a lot. Whereas obviously you know you, you're in glass. Um, I mean, was that a intentional decision? And how have you found selling bottled beer? Do, do you find because of the style of beer it is? that it's not so much of an issue? Yeah, it's a really good question and one that um, I think about quite regularly because we're we're still going in to bottle. And I I think there's a few challenges. So I I definitely would prefer the beers to be in bottle because I think that's how they look best and most appropriate. and, And I think... For Belgian style beers, you know that's kind of how they're traditionally served. Um, having said that, I know that there's a huge trend for cans, um, and we've been told by several, like, prospective customers or current customers that um, we would sell more if beers were in can. So I mean that's uh, that's totally fine and kind of taking that on board and trying to look at ways of addressing that. But as I mentioned, we don't um, we don't have a bottling line, and so a canning line is completely out of the question. We haven't even got the space for it. So it would mean moving production of at least some of our beers um, to contract, mm. which which we've done. But I, I think it would basically that that would be kind of an interesting turn. But overall, I think the beers would sell uh, a lot better. Um, I, I I don't really personally understand it, but the trend to to drink, to buy and drink cans is, is unbelievable. Like it was such a huge swing. It's, it, it's such a weird phenomenon. Um, and it kind of took me by surprise because I, I never thought that, you know, I, I would find myself under pressure to put beer into can, but um, it looks like that's the way it's going to go. Um, but, you know, uh, despite all of that, despite the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do it, 
I think there's still some challenges that arise. So some of the beers, so it's kind of our core range are all like clean. So don't contain any, any bread. Mm. Uh, but the beer that you're drinking now, uh, and some other ones. So we're about to release, uh, two other bread beers, um, that are going to go into can. And I, you know, there's a part of me that is somewhat concerned that, you know, there, there could be a bit of re-fermentation in the can and we're going to have over-carbonation and, you know, might end up having to recall some cans. So, yeah, I think there's, there's also a bit of trepidation there, but I don't, uh, unfortunately, I don't see any other way right now. Um, mm. So we just have to, to kind of do all the due diligence on the batches before, uh, before we package them. I think it's tough for brewers as well because particularly at the moment with what's happening with COVID-19 and, you know, people shipping beer places, you know, the, the amount of brewers that have tried sending me beers um, in bottle, you know, like care packages and stuff, like you're, you're one of the few where the bottles all made it intact. I was actually quite impressed with the box they came in. I was like, you know, when you kind of under the middle, I'm like, wow, this is this is a great box design. <laughs> Um, it's a great box design but um you know the amount i've had that i've been smashed and not made it and you know i mean one one brewery bless them tried sending it three times um what was it? so but obviously you don't get on with can you know they get a bit dinted but sometimes yeah. but um so you know but i can totally see your point of view about um the bread and the refermentation and everything um i mean do you ever see that trend kind of going back to bottles or do you think it's just gonna it's just cans now i think yeah i, th I think it, it'll it'll more or less just be canned now uh, i mean there's still going to be some beer going into bottles like you're gonna have the big 750 mil sharers yeah with you know your bread barrel age saisons and, and that sort of thing um but yeah i i just think kind of day-to-day -day kind of pale and hoppy which is you know probably the 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 most common beer style out there right now mm. uh at least from craft brewers i think it's just going to be canned from now on yeah so let's go into some of the techniques and stuff when it comes to brewing belgian beers so let's, we'll go through the different ingredients that obviously make up beer so we'll, we'll start with your liquor so what, what what sort of water profile should a brewer be aiming for when it comes to brewing belgian styles such as like a saison or a dubelle or a, a flanders ready even um so that's a really good question and we always adjust a little bit depending on um on what we're going to be brewing mm. and so um i tend to so our, our base water is already quite high in in chlorides and sulfates um but uh more often than not, um, I'll bump to both to quite high levels and find that that creates a really balanced beer. Mm. Uh, then with specific beers, I'll I'll adjust a little bit. So one of the beers that I don't think you received, uh, Superposition, which is a wit beer cross-session IPA. Uh, so it's 3.8%, um, but we kind of brew it like a like a nipa um so it's kind of like a double dry hop belgian white ipa um which is a bit of a mouthful um 
but it, that kind of tells you a little bit more of what it is. So it is kind of like a NEPA uh, in in the water profile, and um, and then the fact that we're using oats and wheat in the grist, but we'll also um, we'll use a Belgian yeast, um, but at the same time it's double dry hopped. Uh, so like fermenta heavily fermentation dry hopped with Centennial, mm. um, which gives it like a really like citrusy floral quality. Um, so also uh, a beer that I'm very happy with. Uh, and it actually won the SIBA and uh, Southeast and London um, keg beer uh, this year. Yeah, cool. So... Talk to us about the malted barley and other cereals. What what does a typical grist bill look like for you? Yeah, so it, again, on, on the grist front, it really varies. Um, I, I think a lot of people describe Belgian beers as wheaty. Um, I, I tend to reserve the use of wheat for specific beers and try and um, use mainly barley, barley malts um, and then... I mean, English pale malt is generally uh, so good that, um, especially for a single infusion kit, um, that kind of forms the base of most of the beers. Um, I think tritium is the only core beer in which uh, we use Pilsner malt um, because we want that kind of nuttiness from the malt to, to come through. Yeah, I mean, Belgium's renowned for its maltsters such as uh, Dingemans and Castle Maltings which offer like a huge array of malted barley, wheat, buckwheat, rye and oats and stuff. I mean w why do maltings such as Castle Maltings produce such a wide range of malts in comparison to some of the UK maltsters? And don't get me wrong like you know the UK maltsters make really good malt but I'm always amazed when you look to the continent you're like wow <laughs> some great kind of um, speciality malts there. Why is that? Yeah, I, it's a really good question. I, I don't actually know why it's the, it's so popular in Belgium. Um, I I mean, I, I, I guess there's a demand for it um, because a lot of kind of the bel darker style Belgian beers uh, use things like uh, aromatic malt or um, uh, like the, the dehusk crystals, so like special B. Mm-hmm that that sort of thing so i and and to be honest they are really lovely molds to use um although i we tend not to make very uh malt forward beers they tend to either be quite yeast led or quite hop led mm. that's funny because um it's funny you mentioned special b because special b and um Castle Maltings Biscuit Malt, those two beers would often find their way into both Emmanuel's and Sheffield Brewery beers. Um, you know, they're just really, really nice malts. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they're, they're so packed full of character. And yeah. even using a little bit in, you know, even a kind of traditional British style can like really elevate it and, and take it up a notch. Yeah, I mean, I, I found that um, I'd always pay quite a lot of attention to a, a, a malt bill. And, you know, there'd be times where, it, particularly in my role now, when I'd go out and do some consultancy and I'll look at people's grist bills and things. And, you know, I'm just like, like the amount of times I'll see like a traditional stout 
that hasn't got roasted barley. And I'm like, that's not stout. <laughs> you know, it's like, and it, like, it, it kind of grieves me that hops and obviously yeast and fermentation stuff, like that, those things take precedence to get star of the show. Whereas like, if, you know, to get a really good malt backbone on a beer, it just, it can make a, such a huge difference rather than just like, oh, I'm just going to get some extracts and colour. You know, when you really start to blend some of these different malts together, you know, I, I, I think it's great. I, I think they're great. And I think it's sad that more breweries don't pay closer attention in that way. Yeah. 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 I, I definitely agree. Um, I, I think it, it, even, even in beers where, um, like some of the other, other elements are, are taking center stage. There's still a lot, a, a lot of benefit in using, um, kind of malts to kind of fill it out and like fill in the gaps in the mm. flavor. Um, so in, in the summer saison that you just had, um, that used Pilsner and Vienna malt and the Vienna is kind of just in the background, but it, it kind of complements the, uh, the kind of lactic character of the beer and just gives it that kind of breadiness um, and that kind of sourdough bread character, which is, um, I really enjoyed in that beer. Yeah, I've literally just finished this beer. It was really, really good. And obviously, I'm not just saying that because you're on the podcast, but um, yeah, it was re- it was really nice. I think I might, might wait before until we get to the end of the ingredients to do uh, the next one. Um, so <laughs> pressing on to hops, so we can get to the beer. Uh, like, let, let's talk about hops. Like, what what are good hop varieties that make a good authentic Belgian beer style? Uh, that's a good question. So I think I've tried to play around with using uh, like somewhat more uh, untraditional hops. Mm. Um, I, I, just because I think they can add like a really interesting edge to a beer and um, can play with the yeast quite well. Because so, I think traditionally you'd be looking a lot at the like traditional German varieties or British varieties um, that would be used in, in Belgian beer. So like the, the Hallertau hops, um, or, uh, you know, something like Goldings, mm. which, you know, are, are lovely hops, but I try and play around with some of those, but then also using, um, some, some others. So, uh, oh, we just mentioned Amarillo in the summer season that you had, um, the superposition, the session IPA wit beer that I mentioned, uh, that's got Monroe uh, in the kettle, um, which is a new German hop that has quite a nice, like, strawberry yogurt quality. It's got like a petit mm. filou vibe. You're selling me this beer, I've got to say. <laughs> Sounds um, amazing. Yeah, I, I would have sent you some, but we were all out. Um, and then, and then Centennial. So I kind of trying I, I like kind of what the big like really fruity american hops can bring to a beer but i try and kind of use them quite sparingly and, and at the right times um and and so that they're kind of just there providing top notes and complementing kind of the other flavors in the beer mm. rather than like just dominating completely yeah maybe you can enlighten me actually because um i, I once tried brewing a belgium IPA and it, it didn't turn out very well despite the fact that I dry hopped it within an inch of its life I always think that they can go tragically wrong 
because you got a lot of dominant flavors or vine for center stage like to, to brew one of those beers and brew it well like what what should you be trying to do particularly you know like say providing the top notes like i like how you put that if you can be really bold and try and brew a belgium style ipa like how should you approach it it, it's a really good question. Um, it's quite hard to find a, a formula that works because you you get so much flavor out of the yeast. And then particularly if you're going kind of towards higher ABVs, um, like you're, you're going to get even more flavor from the yeast. So I think what, what I've found works really well is using some of the modern German varieties for Belgian IPAs. Mm. So like, Mandarina Bavaria, uh, Hull Melon, um, Hallertau Blanc, that family of hops kind of, because they still have that, like a, a traditional kind of spicy or grassy edge to them, um, but but also have like the fruity flavors that might make them a little bit more akin to like a like a New Zealand variety or an American variety. And so I, I for me, those, the sweet spot is really with those kinds of hops because um, if you start using mosaic kind of finding the balance um will be really hard yeah i guess that's always the danger when you think of ipas like you know you, you go to knee-jerk reaction is american you know you came about like <laughs> you know and, and waiting with the citra yeah the mosaic and all the big hitters rather than thinking more outside the box um with you know with all the other hops that are out there um noble hops and and all the rest of it. Um, so, you know, and, and Mandarin of Bavaria is a really good example of something that gives you that kind of, like, yeah, Mandarin kind of flavour, that orangey, zesty flavour, but it's not, like, aggressive, is it, and, and really piney and sticky. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's a really good description. It's kind of something you want to stay away from because the yeast kind of, those esters can be pretty full-on and we, they'll be bringing kind of their own f- fruit flavors. So you don't want to overwhelm them, um, especially like if you have uh, like quite a lot of, or even just a little bit of a, a banana quality coming from the yeast. If you start adding kind of fruity American hops in there, you just end up with like a really kind of fruit salad quality. And, you know, it, 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 it can be a little bit overwhelming. Yeah. So b- before we talk about yeast, actually, um, something that's obviously put into a lot of Belgian beers are, are spices. And I'm looking at this tritium, and it's it's. I'm sorry, it's it's calling to me. You know, I've I've I've, wait, I've, wait, I've waited for two weeks since you sent these to record this podcast to drink this beer. So um, you know, but w- w- while I crack it open, like, what, why don't you talk a little bit about spices and what sort of spices? Um, go well with what sort of beer styles and the kind of quantities that you should use them in because I know for one it wasn't a, a Belgian beer but it was a um, it was like a Christmas beer that um, when I was doing Emmanuel's on a small scale I followed this one recipe I think it won like an American Homebrewers Association competition you know and I brewed it and put my own label on it i know it's quite shocking but there you go um and but it, it, it tasted absolutely divine and then when i went to Sheffield brewery company and i was like i'm gonna brew that beer again but make it a bit more sessionable and so on and um try tried scaling up the recipe and it all fell down at the cloves when 
you were supposed to, on a homebrew thing, it's like add 14 cloves, you know, one, two, three, four. But when it's like add 254 cloves, I'm just like, you know what, I'll just add 200 grams, 254 grams, it'd be, be fine. And the beer was just like, well, put it this way, I had one landlord who said he couldn't get the taste of clove out of his lines until April. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I had one on tap review said, this is like, dr- like drinking toothpaste. Um, <laughs> so... On, on that note, as I crack this open, what's a a good kind of guideline, should we say, for um, spicing up your beers? Um, I, I can't remember who said this, but there, it's it's some famous Belgian brewer who says that, you know, that basically, if you can notice that there, there are spices in the beer, then there's too much. Yep. Um, and I think that's probably the attitude or the approach that I would take to it. Um, I think they can bring a lot and we use, uh, like coriander seed in our table saison. Um, but we really only use, uh, I think a gram or a gram and a half per liter. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So a, a gram per liter and it's just there to kind of provide like a, a, a lemony edge, um, to everything. Um, and and I think if you went a bit more than that, you kind of get like a lot of the kind of sweet, spicy flavor out of it. Um, in terms of other spices, I think there's, I mean, there's a lot of different things you can try. And um, like we've, we brewed a Christmas beer with um, cinnamon and ginger. Um, we were actually trying to replicate the uh, flavor in, uh, you know, speculos biscuits. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we made a, a Belgian barley wine called Speculative. Nice. See what we did there. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to talk me through tritium? I mean, um, this this is great. I, I don't even know what pink peppercorns are, but the the words pink peppercorn, rye, tripel just kind of speaks to me on so many levels but it's it's there's so much going on in this but again it's it's not like anything is kind of standing center stage and being all like look at me you know yeah. it's, it's all it, it, it it's all well the best way i can put it is i i, I did a podcast with um the brewers from uh budweiser budvar a couple of weeks back oh, cool. and uh, their head brewer said um about harmonic beer which I always think would be a great name for a brewery. Um, yeah. And it's every, everything feels like it's in a right harmony. So talk, talk me through this beer. So that was probably the only beer that I've managed to nail from the beginning. Um, it's changed a little bit since then. But um, yeah, the, the idea basically started um, with me thinking kind of what, what is a triple, at least for me. And it was like, okay, well, triples are are all bubblegum and spice for me. Mm. And so I wanted to push it in that direction as far as possible. And so like the first batches of tritium were were actually 9%. So a little bit more kind of in the in the range for uh, like the classics, uh, like West Mall. Um, and basically kind of selected the yeast um so we use a Bel- belgian ale yeast in that uh that produces lots of spice and lots of bubblegum 
uh, and I'll get onto the bubble gum and how we kind of create that flavor in a little bit. Mm. Uh, but then using uh, a decent proportion of rye in the grist. So I think it's like between nine and 10%. Um, and we use all Pilsner malt to kind of create that like really lovely fullness to the beer. Um, so it's actually all German malts in that beer that make it um, really expensive to produce actually. <laughs> and um, yeah, and so that was kind of the nucleus of the beer. And since then, we found that um, it was just a little bit too much at 9%. It was it was too expensive because of the duty um, up at that percentage. Um, and, and yeah, it just, it just didn't seem to work that well. So we kind of brought it down a little bit. And then obviously, like with the addition of pink peppercorns, um, so we add that uh, after fermentation, it's basically dry hopping. What we do is put them in a muslin bag and crush them up. Uh, steam them uh, and then add them to the FV. Yeah. So, so the steaming is to kind of like sterilize them, right? Yeah. 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 It's just, just to be sure. Um, yeah. There's, there's still the finishing gravity on that beer is still relatively high. Um, it's probably not as high as you think it would be um, because it tastes quite sweet. Mm. Um, but yeah, we, we finish somewhere between uh, 1009 and 1011 on that beer. So how, how are you getting that bubblegum flavor? Because it's, it's a particular aroma, actually, more than I'd say more than a flavor. You can definitely smell it. There's there's a ton of sugar in there. Right. Um, yeah, so there's... Any particular it, it, kind of sugar? Um, so, yeah, so something that I've kind of really picked up on through in brewing in the past few years is actually using different sugars at different times. And so, for instance, our Belgian IPA, uh, we use quite a lot of dextrose there just to kind of strip the body out and, yep. and make it really drinkable and, and get that final gravity down. But in uh, tritium, what we found is actually using sucrose, so just table sugar. And we add like 25 kilos continuously during the boil. Wow. So bit by bit. Um, so you get that kind of caramelline quality because you get a bit of caramelization in the kettle. Ah. Uh, that again is giving a bit more mouthfeel. And sucrose um because of the like the fermentation pathway produces a lot of the bubblegum ester which you wouldn't get if we were using dextrose yeah it's i've I've got to say and again i'm not i'm not just saying this because you're on my podcast it's this is great i'm glad there was two bottles in that box <laughs> um, yeah i thought, thought you might appreciate that yeah i really really do um as i said i was eyeing it up for a long time so um you know, I can enjoy another one another day. Um, but I mean, the, the, the mouthfeel is fantastic. You know, you, you get that spicy rye quality as well. Um, it's just, just, I'm just quite blown away by it really. Um, oh, thanks. I'm glad, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Um, I think that's like, a. Uh, we always get really good feedback on that beer, but I think that's like a real beer drinkers beer because, there's a lot of like kind of thought that's gone into kind of making it what it is. Mm. And it, and it, it kind of, uh, it takes many boxes like for me anyway. Um, so I've always been quite happy, um, about that beer and, and think, yeah, that it, we've done really well with that. 
Yeah, you have. Well done. <laughs> um, so so m- moving on to the final ingredient then. So we, we all know that yeast is a big driver when it comes to Belgian beer styles. And you, you touched upon it a little bit earlier. But can you talk us through some of the yeast strains and fermentation profiles for creating some of these beers? Yeah, so what we've tried to do, because we, let's say, Pre-COVID, we um, were supposed to be opening a brew pub in London um, and moving all of our production there. And so something that that would have allowed us to do was really to kind of focus in on on one yeast to use across basically all of the, all of the beers. Mm. But potentially um, for some of them, we'd be using a, like a blend of that yeast and a, and a dry yeast. Um, but yeah, the idea is to use uh, the same yeast across the core range, um, which is actually a White Labs um wlp 550 right so we get that propagated for us and um it's amazing just how versatile it is as a belgian strain and um you know you can you can use it in kind of multi beers you can use it in hoppy beers you can use it in strong beers and it'll be kind of providing different things um and you know we use it in in kind of a saison and a triple and you know the, the character is completely different yeah, you know, I, I think yeast, I love yeast. It's, I find it so fascinating. And, um, you know, I've experimented, obviously, just on a very small scale with um, different white labs yeasts. And I, I remember doing a test once, actually. Um, this was on a, we, we had a best bitter at Sheffield Brewery Company called Crucible Best. And I um, racked off some work into a small fermenter and pitched um, WL. P005, which is like a, it's called British Ale Yeast. Um, I think it's from Ringwood Brewery or somewhere. Mm-hmm. But um, and then we served it on our bar side by side, and I'd get people to do a taste test between the two. And it was so funny how um, you know even non beer drinkers they they could all tell the difference, even though the difference was subtle. That the White Labs one, the wet yeast, as opposed to we we had a dry yeast for the main you know uh, brew. Um, but the the wet yeast just it just gave this softer edge to the beer, mm-hmm. and I think it's again it's it's a, I think this comes across particularly with your beers and um, with with really good authentic Belgian beer styles. It's it's all those little subtleties that make the difference and that make the big picture. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it it, it is really important. Um, and I think, you know, even if it's not just for Belgian beer, I think it's probably worth like a lot of breweries trying to get their own house strain going because it, it as you said from your experience, it, it does just make that difference. It kind of all of the edges in the beer are kind of rounded out when you mm. have yeast, and 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 you're kind of getting the the character from it that you want. So yeah, that's. It, 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 I'm looking forward to kind of having one dedicated yeast strain and, and you know, kind of really getting used to using it in the beers. Um, because at the moment we have to get it propagated like every three batches rather than being able to have it um, longer term. Yeah. And w- what about mixed fermentation beers or blending? Is that something you do much of? Yeah, we've got uh, probably about one and a half thousand liters of barrel capacity in the brewery. Um, 
it's a mix of barrels from all over the place. Uh, although a lot of them are kind of 145 liter um, virgin oak barrels. Mm. Um, and yeah, we've had them for quite a while now and just basically kind of keep turning beers, different beers through them. Um, and yeah, uh, some of them are kind of fermented in stainless and then into the barrel with um, with some secondary yeast um, or some of them are actually just barrel fermented. So we've got kind of two beers that go into 750 ml bottles. Um, one of them is a uh, Saison that's fermented in stainless and then uh, aged in oak and then blended. Um, so that's called Mutual Attraction. And then we've got another beer called Charm, which is uh, a barrel fermented uh, amber ale that uses uh, like seven different malts. Um, so, yeah, like quite interesting, lots of depth to it um, and actually uses um, cardamom and orange zest. Yeah. So moving on a little bit, um, what are some of the mistakes brewers make when it comes to brewing authentic Belgian beer styles? Just from the beers maybe you, you tasted and you thought, hmm, that could be a bit better. Um, I, I would say either either too much or too little character from the yeast. So I think some breweries just really try and get like a lot out of the yeast and then kind of the balance of the beer is, is kind of gone. And then maybe there's some other ones that, you know, just kind of fermenting a little bit too cold. Um, and, and just kind of getting a really clean beer out of it. Mm. Um, yeah, I think another another big challenge is using uh, like the diastatic um, dry strain, so Bell saves on and BE one three four. I mean, I think they're pretty interesting yeasts, and again, they, they're pretty versatile. But you know the the we, we had issues with Bell Saison for quite a long time to the point that we had to discontinue a beer, uh, just because it would always kind of kick off and start fermenting fermenting again in the keg, and you know it might only drop kind of a point or two in the keg, but that's more than enough to get um, overcarbonated beer. Yeah, I mean, I always think kegs are on a bit of a knife edge anyway, <laughs> but you know the the minute that you get a beer that's that does that in a keg then you you know it's just a nightmare on the bar and the last thing you want with kegs on a bar is fobbing you know it just it just causes so much issue so i can see why that would be a an issue yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting what you say about the kind of um those those clean fermentation profiles and um but still getting that character i, I don't know if you've if you've come across the brewery st mars of the desert based in sheffield yeah uh, have, have you had their beers before yeah, I, I've I've really enjoyed everything I've had. That I mean, that they um, they brew some great kind of um, farmhouse style beers. Um, Jack O'Dor, I think it's called. Um, it's just amazing, you know, the latest batch that they've done of that. I was just like, wow, you know, because they they your your beers actually remind me of, of some of their beers in terms of like the the way that they just kind of cut a path through some of the the noise and the nonsense so to speak in that you, you you get a lot of that it packs a punch but it's it's not kind of like i'm trying to think of a musical analogy it's, it's not like listening to the darkness put it that way you know it's kind of like yeah. 
you know, and it's a bit flamboyant over the top, you know, it's it's kind of like listening to a really good classic rock band that's a little bit understated, but, mm-hmm. you know... Um, yeah, all right, I, I'm, I'm happy with that analogy, I'll take that. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what, what are some of the, in your opinion, the best Belgian beer styles to come out of both your homeland um, and any other examples from across the world that you've um, had? Excellent question. I'm going to, I'm going to think about that. So, I mean, from Belgium, there's lots of new breweries popping up there. Um, and I mean, for me, my personal favorite brewery full stop is Brasserie de la Seine. Uh, so obviously kind of famous for making Taurus Bulba, yep. uh, Jean de Bois and, um, Zinnabir. And yeah, for me personally, Zinnabir is probably my like desert Island beer. Um, looking further afield, uh, or, or, well, actually closer to home, let's say the breweries in the UK that are doing well, um, I think, and really doing the, the styles justice are, um, I think duration are making some great beers, although I haven't had too many of them from them recently. Um, St. Mars of the desert. Again, I haven't tried very much, but the, the few things I did have, um, were really lovely and um then unity as well yeah yeah i've had some stuff in unity i I really liked it um i've not had anything from duration actually you know i I keep seeing them pop up online thinking i must get their beers um but i I just haven't kind of got around to it and i think now we're you know in in this whole i'd say lockdown it's not really a lockdown anymore isn't it you can drive to durham or wherever go wherever the hell you want <laughs> yeah, um, yeah you know but um you know it's you become more aware of a load of different breweries that you'd never heard of before because you know everyone's now the, the focus is off of selling through bars and the you know the gatekeepers so to speak you know you, you, your bars and bottle shops and people selling direct to consumer so it in some ways it's kind of level the playing field in yeah. that you can you can be anywhere and sell to anyone, um, which I think is a really good thing. Um, but then, as as a consumer, you, you're even more overcome by choice because you, you, it's not like you're going down to your local bottle shop and being like, "Oh, you know, what's good? What should I try this time?" Yeah, exactly. And and you're when you do go to a, a brewery's online shop, you're trying to get above that like minimum spend so you can get the free shipping, and then you you, you know you, you end up buying like you know, 20 beers from one brewery and that that's going to last you for a while. Yeah. I've, I've been kind of doing that and, and actually really enjoyed it so far because it's, it's allowed me to kind of familiarize myself with breweries that maybe I didn't know that much about and, and maybe experience the beer in like a, a different way uh, and a way that I wouldn't be able to if pubs were open because I would kind of, you know, potentially be playing it safe or be going to like maybe specific events like tap takeovers to try certain beers. Um, whereas here I get to do, do it over the course of like a, a week rather than um, just, you know, going into uh, a tap room and picking up like three thirds um, and never really kind of experiencing the beer um, to its fullest absolutely i i think it's a little bit like getting into a band and hearing all the b-sides 
as you know, as well as the, uh, you know, you, you, you kind of start with greatest hits, then you get into kind of like the albums and the deep cuts, then you get into all the B-sides and stuff. And then if you really want to do that, you can get into like kind of unreleased tracks, demos and all the rest of it. Um, but it's all, I, I was going to say that it's also like being able to listen to the same tracks over a longer period and not just like going and seeing the band live and going, yeah, you know, I, I enjoyed that. That was cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly what it's like. I um I remember actually it was I can't remember how long ago it was sometime last year I, I won a case of um Big Mouth from Yeasty Boys uh, through Instagram so I got <laughs> this case of like twenty four cans turning up on my doorstep you know I'm I'm a big Yeast Boys fan you know I know Stu McKinley he's a great guy and yeah. I've always really enjoyed their beers um but you know I'd I'd seen that beer on the uh, supermarket shelf and I, I don't know I'd had it once or twice before. Um, but I, here I've, I've got this case of it and slowly but surely waded through it. And I actually found that over time, I appreciated that beer on so many different levels because I became really, really familiar with it. Yeah. And um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, if anything, this period we've found ourselves in, you know, I, I hope that for a lot of beer drinkers, it, it, kind of forces them particularly the kind of like hyper craft people that kind of want to like just tick off all the latest pastry stouts and face sucking sours on on taps you know it it forces them to really appreciate some of the more simplistic beer styles and 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 appreciate breweries more rather than just being like right i've had the latest dipper what's next yeah 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 exactly um yeah, I try and I, I, I've i just been enjoying that. And I think I kind of do the same with my own beers, actually. I obviously taste each batch before releasing it, but I try and not drink the beers casually too often just so that I, I can drink it over like a, a, a more concentrated period over a few days to really try and get like a deeper understanding of what I like in the beer and what I don't like and, and what I'd like to change on, on a future batch. Yeah. No, I agree about that. Um, again, when I was at Sheffield brewery, I used to rack off a pressure barrel, um, when I was racking up into casks and I bring it home with me. And then, you know, people see me getting out of the car with it. Neighbors might, Oh, what's that? Oh, it's beer from the brewery I work in, you know, I'm, and I'd say, you know, I'm, I'm bringing it home for like, quality assurance purposes like oh yeah quality assurance purposes <laughs> yeah you know and I, I, it was a genuine thing you know because i'd sit with that beer there was one beer in particular i won't name it but there's one beer that i was never really happy with and um you know I'd, I'd bring it home time again sit with it and sit with it and then when i got that recipe like tweaked and and down i had this one pressure barrel and i just kept going back for it and i'm at one point i was like i need to stop drinking this um, you know, on a weeknight. But actually, when I when I realised, actually, if I want to go back again and again for another pint, then I've really hit a sweet spot with that beer. And that incidentally became the best-selling beer for the wow. brewery. Um, you know, and I, I think, yeah, there's, there's something to be said for si- sitting with beer and being really analytical and really trying to dig out what it is you like about it, what you don't you know, and how can it be better? And, and, and yeah, I, th- I think it was, yeah, I, agree. I think it was, John- I think I'm sorry. One of the, one of the difficult things is, you know, when you're in the brewery and you pour yourself a sample from the tank 
and you know you you do aroma and you go okay well i'm looking for off flavors nope fine fine and then you have a sip and you're like oh yeah that's nice cool hops are coming through well you know you go through all the checks and that happens like really quickly and in the middle of your work day and you don't really actually pay attention to whether the beer is good mm. you're just it's just passing all of the tests that you've set for that particular beer and so it's really nice to kind of be able to take the beer home and spend a bit more time with it and and understand um what the really good things are about it and kind of you know what what are some of the aspects you'd want to change yeah so changing tack a little bit and we, we can't avoid this topic because the world has changed like how how have you weathered the whole covid-19 thing so far and how's it affected your business but both for the better and for the worse um so it was quite strange for me uh so we're a team of 3 um so it's myself uh, so i just manage day to day everything day to day uh and do all the brewing or beer related activity um so kind of yeah production distribution aspects um and then we've got um polly who is our taproom manager because uh, we've got a tap room in Leytonstone. Um, so like it was it was off site because um, there was just no space where the brewery is located. And we have Chelsea, who is our salesperson. Um, so I was actually away in Canada uh, at the beginning of March and so kind of came back to lockdown. I had to completely change my travel plans and, and come home. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, we didn't have an online shop. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, most probably about eighty percent uh, of our trade is um, is kegs going into pubs. So that kind of knocked out a huge segment of uh, of our sales. And so um, Sarah, who kind of helps us out with um, kind of digital media and um, yeah and, and marketing was like, oh, okay, well, you know, we've, we've got to set up an online shop. So we just got it set up really quickly. And, you know, I was out there kind of trying to find a courier that would work well. Um, I'm, I'm still searching for that, to be honest. <laughs> Good luck with that uh, one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a nightmare. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a big change. Um, so the negative points is that, you know, we're selling less beer than we were. Um, the positive point is that you know we're retailing the margins are better um and i really enjoy like reta- the retail aspect of selling a beer because you kind of get to share the experience with the customer a little bit more yeah. rather than just wholesaling it and you know off the beer goes and that's kind of it you don't even know which pub it's gone to or when it's going to be on or any of that so so yeah, that's that's the positive side. But yeah, I mean, I think we probably would have been in a lot of trouble without the furlough scheme. Um, yeah, just because you know we're not we're not really selling enough beer to justify um, you, you know two roles that um, that aren't aren't working at all at the moment. Yeah, how do you think that will work then when they reduce the amount of furlough percentage that? Because obviously it's eight percent at the moment, but they're talking about reducing that, and people have to come back part time. Do you think that's going to be tricky for for breweries and other businesses like I th- that? I think it'll be okay because I think as as things start to open up, 
like the there will be work for for those roles um so at least like you know personally speaking we've got a, a taproom manager so you know if they're able to do kind of one or two days a week um you know doing click and collect and managing all of that and pa packing boxes then you know at least that's that's their you know they're they're actually going to be able to find one to two days worth of work a week and actually be contributing um and then, yeah, kind of on the sales front, I think, you know, more and more pubs have started doing takeaway. Um, I think pubs were hit really hard and we're trying to, like, figure out, you know, with their license and, and all of that stuff, kind of the, the yeah, just the feasibility of, of selling beer direct. Um, and so now that they've kind of got that side up and running, I think for salespeople, I think, you know, they might have some work um coming up for them maybe not at full time but you know a, a portion of it so um yeah I, I i'm not too concerned about the future right now um what maybe my my biggest concern would be as you know as pubs start to open up there is going to be a lot of stock that's just been sat in cold stores up and down the country uh and everyone's going to be wanting to shift their kegs and so you know, the only thing that's going to happen there is that keg prices are going to get pushed way, way down, mm. um, which which is going to be unfortunate because, um, yeah, it's basically all the big breweries that can, you know, sell a keg for 40 or 45 quid um, and, and not take a, like a huge hit on it um, are, are going to find it much easier to shift them than for smaller breweries. Yeah. And just to round off then, where do you envision the beer scene and industry ending up over the next few months or years? What, looking into Crystal Ball, what are your predictions? Yeah, I mean, it's that's a really good question. I think so many people who, you know, I think, you know, yourself and, and, and me, we wouldn't be kind of, we would order beer online before uh, COVID yeah. and before lockdown. But I think a lot of people probably weren't even, weren't in the habit of that at all. Um, and maybe w would never have done it. And I think like COVID has kind of normalized that for so many people that I think breweries kind of maintaining some of the retail numbers that they've been doing during lockdown is going to continue. Uh, and I think, that's a really positive thing for breweries. Uh, I think bottle shops, unfortunately, are going to have are going to take the hit on that one, um, which is kind of unfortunate because, you know, bottle shops kind of are, are are an important kind of part of the beer community. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty sad, really. Um, you know, because I think bottle shops have you know they've. In, <laughs> I'm a musician as well, so it kind of everything seems to come back to musical analogies. Unless I'm talking to music, everything's beer analogies. Um, <laughs> but like you know, it's bottle, bottle shops are kind of like the the classic distributor, aren't they? You know, um, where you know if if you're a band in the eighties and nineties, whatever, you know, you, you need a dist a distribute a distributor to get into Woolworths to sell your CD, and then Spotify and Apple Music came along. Um, you know, and bands all of a sudden, independent bands could release their music direct to people. So it's kind of like, well, why go to HMV 
or Woolworths <laughs> if it was still open yeah. um, and and buy a record anymore. Um, you know, and it's that's that's quite disconcerting actually because a lot of those bottle shops, and I'll speak from personal experience, get you know building up a, a brand and a business because of those bottle shops. You know that they, they, they were the ones that enable me to do what I'm doing now. And, um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, unfortunately in some ways that's, that's business. You know, if you look at something like, um, like Blockbuster that, you know, that they wouldn't change their business model, you know, when Netflix came out, it was all about streaming rather than thinking, right, we're, we're going to, you know, we've got all this capital and reserves behind us to kind of overtake this, these young whippersnappers with their little startup called Netflix, you know, and really smash it. They were just like, no, it's all about renting DVDs. Tell yeah. you the DVDs never going to go out of fashion, <laughs> you know. Um, and then look what happened. You know, they went into administration, so it's, it's you know, it's, it's tricky balance for the industry there to to support. You know, in in some ways, it'd be like the breweries will need to support the bottle shops, where the bottle yeah. shops have had to support the breweries for such a long time. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think going back to the to your analogy of of Blockbuster. Um, and and Netflix, I think that's probably where bottle shops are, can basically follow in the footsteps of Netflix a little bit and do kind of more subscription style things mm. uh, like beer boxes and and like kind of the the curation aspects of it. So you know, being able to to recommend beers and maybe make like set boxes for, you know, people who love Nipahs and people who love Belgian beer and, you know, and yeah, I think that's probably going to be the important step for them. Amazing. Brilliant. Well, Roman, th- thank you so much for being on the show. I've genuinely enjoyed chatting to you and drinking your beers on, on a Monday night. <laughs> <laughs> um, h- how can people find out more about Solvay Society and, and, and buy some of your beers, which I would highly recommend they do? Uh, yeah, thanks for that. Um, so all the info is online, uh, just www.solvaysociety.com. Uh, and yeah, it's just at Solve Society for all of our social media handles. So if you have any questions, uh, yeah, just do hit us up online. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me uh, on. Yeah, really enjoyed chatting to you and hope to speak soon. <laughs> Cultures such as Lactobacillus and Bretomonaceus, Bretomonaceus, such as Lactobacillus, Lactobacillus, Lactobacillus and Bretomonaceus. I did it then. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Four podcast this week. Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers. Hi, so